Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Nikki Gallacher of Glasgow, Scotland. Nikki will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Lee Bardugo, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Law & Order Season 16, Episode 12, Family Friend. You'd lie about tainting cases? I'll come clean, as it were. And you expect me to drop this case because of that threat? Forty-some cases could go down the toilet. Forty stone-cold killers back on the street because you want to lock me up for taking care of a rat bastard like Jay Fleckner. Joining me to do that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Thanks for having me on the show, Kevin. Well, rounding out our panel is our special returning guest, the FNOG of fantasy novelists. It's bestseller Lee Bardugo. Hi, Lee. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, Lee, congratulations on your new novel, Hellbent. You've got also Shadow and Bone on Netflix, renewed for season two. Yay! Shadow and Bone, as everybody knows, is based on your best-selling Grishaverse series. And you're just, like, super hot now. Super hot. I don't know why you took an hour out of your busy schedule to talk to us idiots. (laughs) I like to spend a moment remembering what it is to be an ordinary person. So I want to thank you for that. (laughs) I love you guys. You know that I love the show. I listen to it all of the time. It brings me a lot of happiness. So I am delighted to be here. It's wild. It's wild to even know that a little bit. It is really weird, though, to hear you say season 16. And meanwhile, we're like, we got a second season. Let's celebrate. (laughs) Please do tune in and watch all the way to the end. That's what they call completion rate. Yes. Uh, And they really care about that. So, yes. Just run it in the background while you're vacuuming. You don't have to enjoy it. You know? <laughs> like I our mean, podcast. If yeah. people can do that with HGTV, for God's sakes, they can do that with Thank your you. shows, right? I mean, I've Thank seen that. Thank you so much. And we won't, there's no shiplap in Shadow and Shadow. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lee, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. Uh, my favorite, I think, are I think I think this is who I said before were Briscoe and Green, and I have not wavered from that. But I also did not mind Lupo and Bernard. Mm-hmm. 
I may be alone in that. And I will admit to having a soft spot for Finn and Rollins as a pairing. Yes. Like I loved him as the sort of elder statesman and she was, you know, like how did he then, like he was suddenly had been put in this role of like dad, dad partner. And I really liked them together. You're going to learn a lot working with me. I like them too, especially yeah, when they climbed into that water tower together to go to that weird party. It was the best. It was the best. Remember that? I do remember that. <laughs> I don't. But now and I want to know. I promise I won't YouTube. look up your skirt when you go up the ladder. <laughs> and Lee, who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. I don't want to talk about that because I talked about that last time. All I right. I want to talk about the fact, and I, and I almost feel terrible doing this. I'm probably going to get shit for this, but I have a real problem with Casey. And you guys love her. Mm. And I really struggle with her. I do. Mm. And I think it may be because she was on Law and Order as a perp before mm-hmm. she was a yeah. TA. And like my brain can't accept her as a, huh. as a prosecutor. So yeah. in, instead of giving us your favorite prosecutorial team, you just gave us your least favorite prosecutorial team. I mean, possibly. I love Barba. Like everybody loves Barba before the the, the, the debarbification of Barba. I liked old school. Can you Barba. just follow directions? Can you? You write all the time. Just follow the directions. Literally every question is like, I reject your reality. I'm just gonna give you my own thing. Um, and I of course love old school McCoy. I love Angie Harmon. Me I too. I, I'm too. De- I'm in too deep. Who doesn't love Angie? Harmon? She's the best. She's my favorite. Yeah. And they were a great dynamic because they let her be this sort of aggro, like, like not quite conservative, but conservative Texas lady. Like that was a fun dynamic on the show that I thought worked so much better than the like Fred Thompson conservative. Right. Get a little more feisty. And I, um, now I'm thinking about her taking on that serial killer. Remember? Yes. The one who went after all yes. The Yes, she was my favorite because she was like Texas conservative inside Connecticut pretty. She was a perfect character. Yes. She should have been on the show forever. She was my favorite prosecutor in the history of Law and Order, period. You didn't yes. like Serena Sutherland? <laughs> no, because she was a lesbian. Is this because I'm a lesbian? <laughs> That's why you didn't like her. I literally can't remember if I talked about this before, but that I keenly remember watching that episode I think I was staying with my mom and she, I guess we were both watching Law and Order at different ends of the house because it's that kind of household. It's a two Law and Order household. And I'm watching this episode and I literally shouted, what? And I heard her shout, what? At the same time. <laughs> and they like ran down the hall to be like, what? Did you know she's a lesbian? We were very shocked. No, because she's not a lesbian. No, she's not, not a lesbian. All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode. Law and Order Mothership, Season 16, Episode 12, Family Friend. Well, if you come home in the middle of a robbery and you find your husband near dead on the floor and you don't run, you're just asking to get stabbed. Oh. Our DOA kept some interesting company. The guy he's with in this picture is Jack Vitelli, a made member of the Gambinos. So we're looking for somebody stupid enough to rip off a mob associate. Or cover up a mob hit. Valerie Messick survived the attack, and the victim's longtime friend is retired cop Bob Cirillo. Fontana and Green learned that Mr. Messick was an accountant for the mob, but was respected for running a legit operation. A stereo stolen from the home turns up at a pawn shop with Daryl Dennehy's bloody fingerprint on it. 
He also says that his partner, Jay Fleckner, did the stabbing. The detectives find Fleckner washing the blood off all the cash stolen in the robbery. Time release capsule lesbian Serena Sutherland's replacement, <laughs> Alexander Borgia, learns the cash was being traced by an FBI investigation and the feds won't even give them one dollar. And when Dennehy refuses to testify, McCoy's only evidence left is Valerie's eyewitness identification. On cross-examination, Valerie admits that she couldn't really, really, really be sure it was Fleckner, which is enough for the jury to let him go. Soon after, Fleckner turns up dead on the sidewalk. Fontana and Green learn the shooter was family friend Bob Cirillo. So we always kind of joke that even though Fontana wears this beautiful camel hair coat and he's got walking around money, that maybe he's not connected to the mob. However, he talks to this mobster and he's wearing the same camel hair coat. Yes. <laughs> and he didn't make any mistakes that would lead to him getting carved up? Messer didn't screw up. He didn't take anybody's money. He didn't bang the wrong girl. Didn't write anybody out. His murder was a tragedy. Whoever did it, you cops better hope you get to them first. They shop at the same places. Yeah, the made men shop. I thought it was amazing that they actually hung a hat on this this time because we all have been like, why is Fontana a cop? Like, he's clearly a mafioso. And so, like, the guy's you like... You two go way back? Great school. And if you went down his block or mine, at one house, everybody went to the police academy. At the next, they're all criminals. My life story. You know, and I'm like, wow, it's almost like the writers were like, we need to somehow address this. And this is how we're going to do it here. So I did appreciate that. They had finally addressed this in canon. Some went to the police academy, some joined the mob, and some like me did both. <laughs> so like the first real clue that they get is that this stolen stereo shows up at a pawn shop and there is a bloody fingerprint on it. Convenient. I know most pawnbrokers are not the most discerning of people, <laughs> but who's saying, okay, I'll give you 30 bucks for the bloody radio. <laughs> Maybe he didn't notice it. Maybe he's not fastidious. Maybe he thought it was cocoa. <laughs> or a syrup of some variety. I just think it was like tuning button one to the local NPR station. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, does that have a CD burner on it too? Like during the crime, it's like I just need a little mood music. <laughs> like, turn on the Something to slice somebody by. <laughs> I mean, he was just a robber. Oh, the shark. <laughs> he was. <laughs> And the pawnbroker guy's like, I'll give you an extra 10 bucks for that knife. <laughs> no, it was the other guy. It was the other guy. Come on. He wasn't the stabber. He right. was just the robber. There was the stabby one and there was the I'm just here to steal stuff. Yes. One. So Fleckner is actually he's literally laundering money where he's going through washing all. Not literally. He's blow drying the money. Literally. Well, let's do that. He's like okay. washing his sink. <laughs> Cheap piece of garbage. Blink up, put your brains on the bed. Put your hands up. Get up. Can I just say, like, as somebody who's about to go on tour in a bunch of different crappy hotel rooms, my first thought was, oh, you can't, you're not going to get those dry with a hotel hair dryer. <laughs> no. Like, you need a Dyson or, like, right. you should have brought your own. Like, you're not, some shitty motel hair dryer is not going to do the job That's on right. This. And I highly recommend the Dyson hair dryer. That shit is baller. Yes. Uh, my hair dryer, my hairdresser convinced me to buy one. If it didn't weigh 50 pounds, I would pack it. But, yeah. 
Amazing hair dryer worth every Well, penny. he's not only blow dry, <laughs> he's, he's hanging all these bills on a clothesline and blow drying him. So that is really belt and s- suspenders, right? Yes, he is. To go to like Dwayne reading, like, okay, I need 25 feet of rope and 400 clothespins. Yes. And a hair dryer that won't blow up after 12 minutes. For five grand. He should have gotten a hair dryer. He would have been out of the hotel room so much faster. He never would have been caught. That should be a Dyson ad. Yeah, this was $5,000 we're talking about. I mean, granted, I'm not saying $5,000 is nothing. Well, I don't think it was singles. Yeah, this is not the kind of money that like anybody is going to be like, like if you were to go to like the place where you were going to spend the 20s or whatever this was comprised of, like you like spend a 20 somewhere. They're not going to care that it has a stain on it. They're just going to take your 20, right? It's a lot of trouble to go. Well, again, if your bloody fingerprint is on the dollar bill, then again, maybe you would want to take some time to wash it off because the other guy didn't take that stereo and start like scrubbing it in the sink. Like, get some of this stuff. Okay, I I don't want to quibble. I have I'm the laundry doer in our home, right? Oh, this is going to be a quibble. Lee, how many times have you put Hmm. your clothes in the laundry and there's been like a twenty dollar bill in the pocket and it comes out fine? It comes out fine. It does. Put that shit in the laundry machine. <laughs> just like put it on low. It'll be fine. Go to the public laundromat and just throw <laughs> a bunch of cash put in. Put in a lingerie bag. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> For your delicates. For your delicates. You put it on cold water wash and low. I don't want to give murderers tips, but that's what I would do. God. <laughs> What I thought was hilarious is that he was quite literally laundering. Like, I I love it when you take a metaphor and you just make it Mm. literal. And also that he didn't hear them because he was listening to the terrible blow dryer. Like, (laughs) there was something really weird about Green hanging outside of the door. And everybody's gun looked weirdly small to me. Well, Mm -hmm. maybe it's compared to the hair dryer that he was holding. I think it was compared to Green's giant sexy hands that that gun looked tiny. That could be it, too. But I also have to note they were all, like, strafing each other. Like, they all have their guns out. Like, they're all going to just get shot in that moment. (laughs) The crossfire, yeah, exactly. So we get to see somebody before they were famous. Before they were famous. Who is playing Valerie Messick? Oh, come on. Michael Scott's girlfriend. (laughs) I don't know her name, but as soon as I saw her, I was like, Michael Scott's girlfriend. This is, she's going to have a big part to play this. That's Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan. My husband was dying on the floor in front of me, covered in all that blood. And then that man was on top of me. I only got to look at his face for a second. Did I ruin the case? Born Amy Beth Deswanowskowski. What? No, yes. it's Amy Ryan. Yeah, five Law and Order appearances. I want to change my name to Ryan too. Yes, <laughs> five Law and Order appearances on three shows. Known for her Oscar-nominated role in Gone Baby Gone. She was also in Capote, oh, Birdman, and was our favorite killer in Only Murders in the Building. Yep. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wow. She can do everything, can't she? Yep. She can do comedy. She can do drama. Very versatile. Yeah. Play the bassoon. Play the bassoon. Mm -hmm. So in the early 90s, she had a recurring role on NBC's critically acclaimed All Fly Away. It was that sort of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird inspired. With Sam Waterston. With Sam Waterston. That's right. Now, if that show did not get canceled suddenly when it did, Sam would not have been available to take over for Michael Moriarty, who had just resigned by fax. (laughs) (laughs) 
Of course he did. <laughs> so apparently on Gone Baby Gone, that her Boston accent was so good that Ben Affleck asked her what part of the city she was from. Nice. And she was like, what part of the city I'm from? I'm from your mother's gash. Go suck a cock. <laughs> that is, by the way, kind of like the dialogue she said in that movie. Right. So before you add Kevin, <laughs> go watch Gone Baby Gone. And you'll see she says way worse things in that movie than Kevin just said. Oh, shut up, kid. I'll see you at Dunks. <laughs> Call me to Dorchester. I'll fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a, hey, it's that guy. Hey, it's. That guy. Can you tell me the name of the actor playing defense attorney, Ernie Corelli? No way they hang my guy for killing that piece of crap. And my client won't bite on your offer. Now you really want to talk? Nope. Although I did say, hey, it's that guy. You Literally. did say, hey, it's that guy. <laughs> Lee, do you know? I put my note was, this guy is too big a deal to just, like, he's going to have a moment, right? He, this guy needs to have a moment because I've seen, I know his face. Right? He played somebody's yeah. dad in a thing. Yeah, it's Bill Smitrovich. Uh, he's best known as playing Drew, Becca and Corky's dad on Yo, Life Goes On. I knew he was somebody's dad. Oh, yeah. I knew it. He's also Patty Lapone's slam piece in Life Goes On. <laughs> That's right. Bill is very active on Twitter, though he has a very small following. It's very niche. His followers include Richard Lewis, Annette O'Toole, mm-hmm. Timothy Hutton, Michael O'Keefe, Melissa Gilbert, Maureen McCormick, Jonathan Franks, and Morgan Fairchild. Huh. This is like a 1989 episode of Battle of the Network Stars. They're all like SAG presidents. They're like those weird like actors who like, are very active in SAG, right? I don't I I like that. I like that he's in a weird like he's like I don't want to talk to anybody who I met after 1990. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like 1990 he was like no new friends and he stuck with it. And I yeah, like that. I respect That's good. That. Melissa Gilbert. It's like I made friends with Morgan Fairchild. I'm done. Yeah. I was hang I was just pack it up. That's right. I know Laura Ingalls. Does anyone <laughs> Does anyone know the name of the actor playing Bob Sorello? Did you go visit the guy and tell him to watch his ass? Because if he so much as sniffed in the wrong direction, you'd be there to lock him up. Yeah, that's Vincent Gustafaro. Two Law and Order appearances. He does have a "Hey, it's that guy" face. He does. And you think you would know him from The Sopranos or The Wire or something like that? But no, he's just. <laughs> He's just not that. He was the desk sergeant uh, on NYPD Blue, but his breakout role was as Deputy Rick Cologne in Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. Oh, that's where I know him from. Just kidding. You know I would never watch that movie because I'm too much of a baby. He does have, I feel like there are a lot of people who look like him on television. Yeah. Like it's that, like, like there's a lot, like he has that look of like he's either playing an EMT or a low level member of a crime syndicate. He just has that face. When I saw him, like, oh, he's definitely somebody. But he was just, he's just so, hey, it's that guy-ish. And been on a billion things for, like, one hit. And you're like, ah, he looks familiar. He won a, a lead actor award for the Chicago stage production of P.S. Your Cat is Dead. Okay. Missed that one. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I think that's a great breakup text, too. <laughs> P.S. So uh, we have a repeat offender. Repeat offender. Kelly O'Coin is playing the uncooperative U.S. attorney. That money plays into an investigation. Rebecca loved him. Pastor Tim. And his big wig as Pastor Tim in The Americans. My favorite show of all time. So who's checking in? Is Captain Tom Baden? That's the head of uh, Dumar's old unit. 
Dano. A few guys here were filling their pockets when I transferred in. All of them are gone now. That's Dan Ziski. Ten Law and Order Universe appearances. You know him from House of Cards as the vice president who Kevin Spacey talked into resigning so he could have the post all to himself. Mm. Who knew Kevin Spacey could be so evil? Oh, yeah. He's pretty evil. Oh, boy. Kevin Spacey. Oh, boy. Facts. Facts. Lastly, who was uniformed cop number one? <laughs> Upstairs neighbor. Had the wife screaming. How was the wife? Stabbed multiple times. Circling the drain at Roosevelt ICU. <laughs> really? Well, I was paying attention to all the uniformed cops, but only number three stuck out oh. to me as particularly special. <laughs> he had a way about him. Uh, that is Joey Piscopo. What? Son of... Joe Piscopo. Nancy Jones, producer of Wheel of Fortune. What? And his father, of course, and is, Joe Piscopo? is Joe Piscopo. Yes. Ah. Joe Piscopo met his second wife, Kimberly, while she was babysitting Joey. Oh, that's What's great. That? Hey, that's great. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not true, is it? It's true. Yes, it's true. Yes. You know, a lot of. OK, that ends up. A lot of good movies on the Internet start that way. It's just true. It's right. <laughs> Like Parent Trap, <laughs> Jason Lives. Those aren't the kind of movies I'm thinking about. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she oh, means other porn. parts of the. Oh, there you go. Yeah. The ones where the parents come home, you know, and the babysitter's yeah, yeah. there. Let me clarify for you. Usually, it's like Dad leaves, and then the kind it's like, you oh. watch after I'm asleep. Oh, you know, geez. those kinds of movies. I plead no contest. You guys are like mom and dad. I don't want to hear this from you. I listen to you every week. I don't want to hear this. all the intimate details. Of oh, it's so talk. cute that you think our kids listen to anything <laughs> we make. <laughs> so Joey Piscopo's Twitter is a little different. He's got 200 followers, but they include. Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy. Wait, he's following so, these people? No, these people following him. Okay. So you kind of tell where he is. All right. Joey once starred in a one man Broadway show. It was called Joe Piscopo's Son. <laughs> <sighs> this is like the saddest Nepo baby story I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. This I is love the it. most tragic of Nepo babies. Uh, Joe Piscopo's son is also known as P.S. Your Career is Dead. <laughs> so to make the most of their flimsy evidence, McCoy wants Valerie to show off her scars. Yeah. I understand. She's got some awful scars on her face and neck. Still a one witness ID. A witness who is a victim and a grieving widow. Let's make sure her scars are visible to the jury. If she's all we've got, let's make it count. So she's wearing like this... Low-cut black dress so you can see her chest and her throat and everything. Yep. And I'm like, what's next? Just whip a tit out. <laughs> I Just one, though. Just one. I used to be a makeup and special effects artist okay. before I got the job I actually like. Really? And I have to say, yeah, and I have to say I could not stop looking at the shine around those scars. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. like, so I feel fairly certain those were made with silicone and you heat it up, you can make scar material, you can basically mold them and then you just stick them on on the day, right? Mm -hmm. And it's real easy. You can make multiple versions of it when you cast it. But the blend on them, I kept being like, why is her skin so shiny? Nobody powdered her down. Like, it was really driving me crazy. And they were so symmetrical, right? 
Yeah. They were weird. Like when, like, not that I've stabbed a lot of people, only Mm. a few, but the people I have stabbed, you don't stab people like this way and then that way and then this way. It's like he was making a pattern. It was really strange to me. It it didn't look real to me. It was like Wolverine took a swipe at her. Yeah. (laughs) But it wasn't. Then it would have been all in one direction. Instead, it was like Wolverine was like, I make a little X and I make a little Y and I make a little X and I make a little Y. I need it to be even on both sides because I have a condition. That's how it felt. <laughs> like, it felt very like he had a compulsion. <laughs> but I have a question about the outfit. So can we just go back to that? Yeah. So she's wearing like this dance skin leotard situation at court, right? What was that conversation like? That's what I, I, I really wanted to be in the room when Jack McCoy... No, he sent Borgia in. He had Borgia do it. Okay. Yeah. When like, you can talk to her because you're not a lesbian. So, okay. so when Borgia goes to Amy Ryan and is like, so Amy, here's the thing. We know that you are really self-conscious about all of this horrible scarring on your neck and chest, but we want you to wear this Danskin leotard to court. What is she? Okay. Like, what was that conversation? Why didn't they show that? That would have been the best scene in the entire episode. It would have been. I mean, I feel I feel like you could be like, we want them to see, you know, how how vile, what a what a monster he is, et cetera, <laughs> yeah. et cetera. But I will also say Borgia wears two beautiful velvet jackets. No. Four. 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 There was the green one. There was was the magenta one. one, A beautiful purple one. There was the lime green one and then the hunter green one. I was also on Velvet Jacket Watch and she had the matching (laughs) beaded necklaces just so you know you were not alone on Velvet Jacket Watch. What about the velvet? <laughs> what about the velvet walls, though? Like, I, I don't like talking about visuals all the time, but they had this first trial in a courtroom. And in this courtroom, there was this dark green wisteria pattern brocade wallpaper. Oh, yes. It was beautiful. It was like it was shot in the crown. Listen, Kevin hates the visuals when we talk about it. Even he was but drawn in. Quite, look, and it was like you saw the, all the shots all the way around. Who commissioned this set? I love it. For one time. <laughs> My mom, when I was a kid, would watch Law & Order and she was an attorney and she she loved Law & Order and she thought it was the most realistic at the time. You know, when it started out, yeah. it really tried to be this sort of, yeah. But the thing she said was the one thing that is just nonsense was the way the courtrooms looked. They're these beautiful wood paneled mural of a ship. Apparently there was green brocade wallpaper back there. <laughs> like as opposed, most courtrooms are just dumps. Like, you know, you, you cover true crime, you know, like it's yes. like, there's no gravitas. There's no pomp. It's just a sad, like you're, it's like you're at the DMV. By the way, what was up with the defense attorney's voice? What do you mean? Well, he sounded like he was, you know, talking in a newsreel from the 1930s. Oh, yes, he did. He had that received pronunciation. (laughs) With your vision hampered by your tears, you mean? With your husband of 15 years lying brutally murdered by your side, is that what you mean? Like, Dateline Manhattan. (laughs) (laughs) Things got stabby in Gotham. He was so weird. But also, his client kind of looked... Like he was from the 1930s. Yeah. Like you first see him, he's in this white tank top. He looks like he's in like a production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And then they have him in the courtroom and he's wearing like a buttoned up shirt with no tie. And he's like, yes, I, it's like a dust bowl epic that he strolled in off of. Yes. Like he did not look like he belonged in the show. How did no one dial that lawyer dude back? 
Like the directors, his, his point, yeah. the directors of this show were like, no, we love it. Just keep going. Lean in. Lean in. More. Lean in. There on the stand, it's Mrs. Mersnick showing off her bosom. <laughs> Way to get justice, little lady. Way to get justice. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Bob Cirillo tells Fontana and Green that he met Flickner just to tell him to stay away from Valerie, but he pulled his piece when Cirillo shot him in self-defense. And when I was on the ground, I freed my ankle piece and I told him to back the hell off, but he raised up to shoot, so I fired. Did Valerie know about you meeting up with Flickner? No. You realize we're going to have to look into this? I know. And you're going to find it's a good shoot. Joe and Ed tell Van Buren the weapon found on Fleckner was connected to an unsolved home invasion investigated by deceased detective Dumar. They learned Dumar was running a shakedown of burglars taking their stolen money. Plus, it was Cerullo who found Dumar after he died by suicide. They conclude Cerullo was the partner in the shakedown scheme and he planted the gun on Fleckner to make the shooting look like self-defense. Cerullo tells McCoy... If he accuses him of planting the gun, he'll lie on the stand and say he planted evidence in 40 homicide cases. Such a claim would overturn dozens of convictions. McCoy says, YOLO, and goes to trial. (laughs) Jack confronts the defendant with Philip Messick's secret accounting record showing he was taking money from the mob, money that dried up when Messick died. As threatened, Cerullo says that he framed everybody in the past, just not Fleckner. Porsche finds something else in those records. That old money laundering case led to an account run by Valerie Messick. McCoy promises her immunity if she'll testify against Cerullo. Stand by for the patented law and order twist. On the stand, she says she asked Cerullo to kill Fleckner and gave him that opportunity by intentionally tanking her testimony so her husband's killer would get back on the street. The jury convicts Cirillo. Meanwhile, the motions to vacate those other convictions start rolling in. Okay, so to make sense of Cirillo's encounter with Fleckner, McCoy and Branch talk about how sometimes cops will just go up to a suspect who got away with it and lean on it. What did Cirillo expect would happen? What, cops don't warn perps off the radar all the time? And McCoy says, that's just harassment. That's harassment, not a bullet to the chest. It's still bad. (laughs) he only slapped him with the back of his hand (laughs) 
Kevin has not watched a lot of a lot of Law and Order in his life. And he's watching that. He's like, it's interesting that there's just scene after scene of like no one backing down of them just being like, I'll do this. OK, do it. Like it's <laughs> multiple. And I was like, nobody out dick swings Jack McCoy. Nobody doesn't matter if it's longer. He's still going to out dick swing you. That's what's going to happen. And in fact, at the end, when everything bad comes to pass and they're, he's like, I don't care. I got my conviction. Some low level ADA is going to have to handle all of that paperwork. He's so jolly at the end of this episode. That's right. That's absolutely right. I was looking for things for them to do anyway. There you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Fontana and Green revisit the victim in that old home invasion. It's an older society lady. The they, best. They ask her if she remembers Love what her. the guy looks like. Did you get a good look at the man who robbed you? Generally. I was experimentally medicated. Excuse me. I was smoking marijuana to alleviate my glaucoma. So this old lady was tripping balls no. while a burglar was firing off a gun in her house? I love Law & Order rich people like nobody else. Me like too. Her lavender satin, her weird, like, have some tea, young man. Like, she was just, and then that she had $17,000 in cash in her house and no yes. one blinks. What is this lady up to? And a uniformed maid in the background. It looked like she lived in a nursing home of her very own. Like, she was the kind oh. of person <laughs> who had, like, a giant living room with multiple seating areas for for no reason. I loved everything about it. And she was like, <laughs> I think he just got scared and the gun went off. Thank God I was tied up. Thank God I was tied up. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what kept you from getting shot. That's not how that works. You don't have to be standing or moving to be shot by a stray bullet. I don't think she was actually tied up. I think she was just so stoned. She's like, I can't lift my arm. I'm going to have to float out of my body to escape. Yes. Like, oh, wow, the Gauguin is talking to me. I mean, that is very stoned, sir. I just want to watch Masterpiece and munch on truffles. I love how this lady feels like she has to be polite about her pot use as if anything is going to happen to her by admitting that she got high that time. <laughs> like, lady, they're not going to arrest you. You have $10 billion and your living room is 80 feet long. You're going to be Fine. You're going to be totally fine. She was my favorite character of the whole piece. I love her. But I also will say the way they talked about him as an accountant really made me wish he was my accountant. Same. <laughs> he sounds so good. Right? When they were like, he was right. He, you know, we got great deductions. I got a wonderful refund. Like, you know, like he's, we're going to kill whoever killed this guy. I was like, man, I hate Mike. I mean, I, I now I like my yeah. accountant, but I hated my accountant. He's like, hey, you know you can deduct all this cement, right? <laughs> so this is Sorello's move. I'm going to get on the stand and lie about planting evidence so you'll think I'm telling the truth about not planting evidence. Yeah! Objection. Relevance. Overruled. You framed these men? I framed a lot of bad guys in my day. You see... I'm being honest now about everything in my past. I want a cop to every wrong deed in my career so you'll know I'm telling the truth that Fleckner was out to kill me. Sly as a fox, right? Yes. I mean, does he understand that if he doesn't go down for murder, he will go down for framing people? And he will also lose what, you know, they're always like, I'm going to lose my pension. Like, that's like, you know, in another episode, that would be a plot point. But instead, he's just like, I'll blow everything up. As long as it's not murder, I'm good. He thought this was going to be a threat that they would take seriously, right? 
Sure. Because your job, because it would work for him. Like, you're going to make my job hard. Like, I wouldn't want my job to be hard. So, like, that's something that's going to work on you. Like, you're not going to want your job to be hard. Yeah. Like, that is an average white guy threat if I've ever heard one. Like, (laughs) I don't like working hard. So, I'm going to threaten you. Dude, you're not going to believe how hard you're going to have to work if I do what I say I'm going to do here. Like, that is, like, the basic white guy who's been promoted despite being average at his job threat. Like, you're going to have to come in on the weekend. I never Yes. Come in weekend. <laughs> and we all know none of us like doing that because that's not how we got ahead. We, we were just average. Yeah, he shouldn't have come on so strong with that. It could have been like, okay, like, I don't want to give you a lot of bullshit. You don't want a lot of bullshit from me. So how about we just work this out? And- yes. But it's also, he's literally announcing this in a room to the prosecutor. Yes. Like, I have committed many crimes that you will be able to prosecute me for. Like, and- it's not like he has... Like, there's no, I don't understand what the game plan was here. And also that that McCoy never mentions, like, you told me, you're on the record as telling me that you're going to do something illegal. Is he lying about? Yes. Yeah, they went, they said later on, they looked at all the cases. They were all solid. He was, he was a great cop. There was, there's no evidence he planted okay, any Okay, A, he's not a great cop because he's doing the other shit on the side. So let's just put that uh, up. But even if he's lying about planting the evidence in these other cases, this is the whole thing about this this episode that makes me crazy. There's one thing to have like twists and turns. It's another thing to have a thing where someone tells you they're going to do the thing and then you actually see them do the thing they tell you that they're going to do. This was my beef too. Come that, on. And there's actually a lot of that. Like even the twist with her saying, you know, and I did it deliberately on the stand. You're like, yeah, I kind of figured like there's nothing there was no big shocker i kept expecting one of those things where they're up on the stand and they say something that seems arbitrary a little arbitrary bit of information and then you pan over to borgia and she's like mm, what mm, and then goes and digs in the in the files and there's a thing that connects them to another thing like that's what i was i need a different velvet blazer for this scene exactly. <laughs> let me put on my very smart velvet blazer and i can get this work done I felt a little let down by the twists and turns. Like I was waiting for something more salacious in this episode. So Valerie's plan is to get immunity and then admit to the whole thing. He said he'd take care of it. That he'd kill Fleckner. In the event Mr. Fleckner was exonerated at trial, correct? Yes. Which I made sure happened. What do you mean by that? I threw my testimony during the trial so Fleckner could go free so Bob could kill him. Now, forget for a minute that there are no ties between Fleckner and anyone in the mob, but she still calls him out by name at the arrest. But just put that aside for a second. Yes, put that aside. Yeah. In her hospital bed, she gets uh, Cerullo to pledge to kill Fleckner. But the only way that was possible was to make sure that he's acquitted and out on the street. So she threw her testimony in the first trial. How about this? Instead of throwing your testimony, how about just blow the lineup they brought you in for? Correct. Why say that's the guy? Fair point. Why yeah. go through all the whole? That is a really good point. But also, if law and order has taught us anything, it's that other than the courthouse steps, the worst place to be is prison. You're going to get killed. People yeah. get killed there all the time. Correct. Especially if you know a crooked cop who knows people on the inside. Come on. It is so much more likely you could get this guy killed with no one being the wiser in the joint. Yeah. Yeah, That's actually a very good point. 
And she'd be like, well, none of them look familiar, but I will follow number four home. (laughs) (laughs) But once she gets immunity and she can confess to anything, she could raise a whole lot of reasonable doubt if she just went up on the stand and said, no, I did it. But instead she says, yeah, Bob did it. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Thanks for nothing. So she gets up there and she actually confesses to like a worse capital crime, like basically murder for hire. (laughs) She doesn't just get up and go like, yeah, whatever is what happened. She's like, no, I'm going to milk the shit out of my immunity. I'm going to send him to prison and confess to a thing that like I would have gotten the death penalty for, which is like murder for yeah. hire. Plot. And then she dances off the stand like Michigan Jade Frog. <laughs> <laughs> when McCoy gets screwed, like even when you see it coming, it's so sad when they zoom in on, on Sam Waterston's face, like in his... It's very subtle, the difference between him getting excited about something and him being depressed about something. But like his eyebrows droop a little bit. And I was like, I hate seeing that. I hate yeah. seeing voice. That's why yeah. he's an American treasure, Lee. And That's why. Yeah. He's making the face like, yeah. I think I might have given the wrong person immunity. <laughs> you know he knew it was a risk, but it's just, oh, poop. Like, yeah. It's just, oh, It's poop. like, I really should be prepping her better. Fuck me once on the stand, shame on you. <laughs> Fuck me twice, shame on me. Yeah, but Lee's right. He kind of make he kind of makes the face like I got my grandson the wrong gift this Christmas. Like yeah. I could have done better. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Could have got one of those bikes from Savings Mart, <laughs> the one that gives you diphtheria. Got the wrong iPhone for for, for little Joey Piscopo. <laughs> <laughs> Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Let's take a look at the real life story that inspired this episode. What? It's time for this happens every week. I know. It's time for a rip from the headlines. Still a surprise every time. You think you know who did it? You think you know who did it? But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the headlines. This episode was inspired by an evidence fabrication scandal involving the New York State Police. Investigators at Troop C were accused of regularly planting fingerprints in order to secure convictions. In 1987, John Spencer was sentenced to 50 years after troopers said his prints were found at the scene. In truth, they lifted the prints from items he touched while being booked. In 1989, the four members of the Harris family were shot before the house was set on fire. Sketches made of two people trying to use the house's credit cards led investigators to Michael Kinge and his mother Shirley. Michael was killed in a shootout with police and Shirley was arrested. Troopers obtained her fingerprints from her job at a bed and breakfast. 
but they testified they were found on a petrol can left at the burning home. Kinji's conviction was vacated. So was Spencer's, though he was reconvicted during a second trial. Five members of Troop C were accused of fabricating evidence in up to 30 cases. Four troopers received prison sentences, while a jury acquitted the other. The governor appointed a special prosecutor to investigate the scandal. In his report, he claimed other troopers knew of the misconduct, but haven't come forward. So I have to believe that usually cops don't fabricate evidence just to fuck with people. They do it because they think they've got the right guy. They get target lock and are willing to do anything to get them convicted. That's what you think? That's what I think. You don't think it's just because they want to make their job easier and just go home? Same thing. It's what I, I just said. I think they want to hire clothes where it's not the same. It's not the same. Like wanting to get the, the true bad guy and believing you're getting bad guys off the street is different from being like, I want a higher percentage of Correct. cases. Yeah. That's dark. And that she worked at a and b Yes. Like Shirley worked at a and b That makes me real sad. Correct. So, Kevin, I disagree with you, and I, I agree more with Lee. Like, they do it because that's how they were trained to do the job, and that's what they see other cops doing, and so that's what they do. And it's not like, you know, I, I don't even want to fall into the trap of, like, you don't have to wake up in the morning and think you're going to do it to do it. Like, you can not wake up in the morning. It doesn't make it you a good guy. Like, you're still bad if you do it for whatever reason. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, Shirley Kinge did have Harris's credit card. Which she got from her son, and she did use it four times, forging Mrs. Harris's name. She sued the state of New York for $500 million. Uh, she won only 286000 The judge said it's because she didn't come to the case with clean hands. She was an accomplice to the crime in some way, so she doesn't get $500 million. I mean, it is a brutal and horrific crime. It is a brutal and horrific crime. Like the, the, And her son did die in a shootout with the police, which I assume means that he was shooting at the police, but you never do know. You never do know. Yeah. So I don't have enough, I don't have enough information here. It's just her name's Shirley and she worked at a bed and breakfast and yeah, I don't, I'm, I can't, I can't believe I that she was involved. I like that parsing. Yeah. Right. They got her fingerprints from a drinking glass at the bed and breakfast when the cop went like undercover. But how do you slip an entire glass of water into your plastic bag while you're trying to make small talk with the Norwegians who've come to see the foliage? <laughs> That's a good point. That's a very good I, point. I feel like things go missing from bed and breakfast all the time. Hey. Usually the ones I'm at, because I'm just putting silver in my purse, yeah. <laughs> teddy bear, they put in your little potpourri. The good just lotions. right into the purse. Yeah, little mini box lotions. You're allowed to take those. You're allowed. Oh, you are? Oh, cool. You're not allowed to like, walk into the kitchen and take like a bottle of like rice wine vinegar. Like that's frowned upon. What about the Dyson hair dryer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this hair dryer was so fantastic. I had to have it. <laughs> Here's how the case fell apart. Trooper David Harding was applying for a job at the CIA. And it was asked in the interview if he'd ever break the law for his country. And he said, yeah, sure, I would. And then told him all about fabricating all this evidence, thinking they'd love this. They did not. And it should be no surprise that after being notified by the CIA, the Justice Department did nothing for 14 months. Oh, my God. So obviously he should have applied at the Justice Department. Oh, my God. You know why they didn't do anything? Because they knew it was going to open a can of worms and be a lot of work. Because average yeah. white guys do not like to work on a Saturday. It's too much. To be fair, 
Yeah. You two don't enjoy to work on a Saturday. But, True. Oh, wow. I love that this guy was like, you guys tried to kill Castro with an exploding cigar, right? You're going to love this story. <laughs> he was 100% was like, I am about to close this deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Lee Bardugo. Lee, where can our listeners follow you online? Um, you can find me on Instagram. That's the really the only social media I, I use. And it's my first initial L and my last name, Bardugo. I guess I technically still have a Twitter account, but I'm <laughs> never there and haven't been for years. It's a ghost and, account. And the book is Hellbent, and it is uh, part two of your uh, the Ninth House series, right? Yes, uh, Ninth House and Hellbent are stories of uh, murder and dark magic set among the secret societies at Yale. Well, get your copy now and find Lee out on tour pushing her books. By the way, our books are probably way in the back. Oh, what? Way, books? way in the back. Book schmucks. So if you're trying to kill time in the line, go find ours. You can. Well, no, don't worry about that. Just buy Lee's. Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? Well, I just DM'd Lee Bardugo, which uh, I do not invite you to do to me, but <laughs> actually you can if you want. You can find me on all the social media platforms at Reb Lavoy. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These or Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These or Their Stories was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.